Hey, I'm here to tell you about Rabbit Hole Derringer. That's Kentucky Straight Bourbon Finish and PX Sherry Casks. If you've never had this stuff, uh, you are missing out. I've spoken pretty highly about Rabbit Hole for quite a long time now. They have four different expressions, and this one is by far one of my favorite. What, what makes Rabbit Hole special is they view bourbon as an artistic expression. Each of their original works of bourbon are made from one-of-a-kind mash bill recipes, specially malted grains. Every Rabbit Hole expression is aged in both charred and toasted barrels. A lot of people say they do both. They don't do both. And Derringer Rabbit Hole's award-winning finished bourbon for this expression uh, uh, they've taken their fine weeded bourbon and aged it again in Pedro Jimenez sherry cast from España. And uh, this aromas of caramel and cherry we're going to lure you in with dried fruit and sweet wine to fall in love with at the end of the night. It is so very good. It won the double gold prestigious San Francisco Spirits Award and was named one of the 25 best bourbons of the 21st century by uh, Rob Report. So I got to tell you, you got to try some Rabbit Hole. And if you want to pick up a bottle, you should go to rabbitholedistillery.com slash drizzly. And take $5 off your first order with promo code RABBIT. And once again, to find it in your area, go to rabbitholedistillery.com and you can look up a locator to find where to have a bottle in your area. Come drink responsibly and jump down the rabbit hole with me. What up, Whiskey Ginger fans? Welcome back to the show. If it's the first time joining the show, welcome to the show. Like I always say, like it, subscribe it, tell a friend, do all those great things to spread this whisk ginger word. My guest this week is Jimmy Carr, one of the greatest of all time. Uh, British Invasion here from Down Under in Melbourne, Australia, where I'm shooting a movie. Uh, we put up all the Bad Friends dates. I, myself, am not touring, but the Bad Friends dates are all available at badfriendspod.com. Go see me and Bobby Lee on tour right now. Pick up those tickets. Enough rambling from me. Let's go to the episode. In here, we pour whisk, 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 whisk. Oh, that creature in the ginger beard. Sturdy and ginger. Like vampires, the ginger gene is Gingers are beautiful. You owe me $5 for the whiskey and $75 for the horse. Gingers are hell no. This whiskey is excellent. Ginger. I like gingers. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Whiskey Ginger. My guest today is one of my favorite people on earth. I say that for all my guests, but I mean it once again today. It is the incomparable, <laughs> incomparable as we would say here. Jimmy Carr! Well, it's very nice to be here. This, uh, this, this, I mean, in this soulless space, but it's nice to be here with you. Well, I told them to clear it out. This, this was a full family lived here. Uh, and I said, clear it out, because I've got the big JC coming in. The uh, second made, coming, as it were. You made the right decision. That's right. I brought you some special stuff. Um, I know you have two shows tonight, but I don't really care. I want you to sip on a little bit. This is, um, this is Colonel Taylor. Do you know what this is, E.H. Taylor? Uh, yeah. Uh, I'll tell you who turned me on to this. Uh, Ralphie May. Uh, we can't have this. That, that's what, is this what killed him? No, not not what killed him. Oh. But he was the one that recommended this to me. He said, well, get this because you can't get uh, Pappy Van Winkle for love nor money. But well, you can kind of get this. Isn't it the same guys that do this? Correct. Yeah. It's the same. It's from root of the same distillery. Same people that do Buffalo Trace, Blanton's, Eagle Rare. This is the... This is so this is, this is the daddy. This, is, this was an actual man who was kind of, they call him like the... He's like the godfather of bourbon, so to speak. He's like one of the originals... That's, that, that settled in the land in Kentucky. This is his sauce. This was like his recipes, his sauce. So, yes, you, you, know, you say, how about this? You, you say when. Okay. What do we got, an hour? Yeah. All right, when? I'll just, okay, I'll, okay. I'll say. Okay, okay, we'll refill. And hold on one second. All right, this Let me is. Cheer. Let me cheer you. Just Ooh. a little bit of sauce. Cheers. Look Cheers. In the eye. Very good. You must look good me health. in the eye. Cool. Same thing we did at the hotel before this. He doesn't mean like that. Yes, I do. Oh, phenomenal. Mm. Phenomenal, right? That really is something, isn't it? It's good. Very sort of the caramel there. Mm. Oh, 
It's wonderful. Do you drink Whiskey Max? I mean, your show is called Whiskey, whiskey Ginger. Whiskey Ginger, yeah. I love a Stone's Ginger Wine and Scotch. The Whiskey Max, like classic Christmas drink. You like that? I love that. I can't. I don't know why. I, it's just, it's an, I don't know. I cannot. What your thing? The only way I usually consume bourbon, whiskey, whatever variation of whiskey, uh, rise, I'm almost always straight up nothing else. No ice, no nothing. No, but I'm okay with ice sometimes. I asked a master distiller once, what's the most proper way? Because he'd been doing it for 35 years. I said, what's the most proper way to have it? And he goes, how do you like it? I said, well, I kind of prefer it neat. And he goes, that's the way. Yeah. I said, oh, so I was right. He said, no, 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 stupid. It's whatever you want. There is no such thing. These are all wives' tales of people going, oh, you're supposed to have it this way. You should tip on drinking whiskey from my physio who just said to me, you don't drink whiskey. Put it in your mouth, let it evaporate. Oh, well, that's... Just put it in there, just let it, let it, put it on your tongue and let it just be there. Slowly... Just let it, you know, the the ambience of it, the whole thing, the flavor of it. But people drinking it like it's a pint of beer, what are you doing? Well, chugging it is different. Slowly sipping it, I think, is the move. I think you slowly sip over time. Also, what it does, and I found on the show, is it would get people to kind of... um, Loosen up, but also it opens up all these little portals in your brain of memory. I feel like whiskey is a memory is memory sauce for me for some yeah, reason. There's something about different kinds of booze, right? I like do gin, different tricks. Gin makes people cry. Yeah, I've, I just had a flashback of me crying on gin. A gimlet, a gimlet. I'm gonna pour my heart out to you for some reason. Right, that's a different show you should do. <laughs> just, <laughs> just gimlets, and it's, it's just you interviewing. In tears. Just important women in your life. It's going to be incredible. Tears of a gin man. Yeah. What my first, uh, the first thing I think about when I have a sip of whiskey every single time is my grandfather who loved uh, Manhattans. Loved Manhattans. Oh, I love a Manhattan. I kind of like, I like those. I mean, apparently the Manhattan, all, that kind of, the popularity of those drinks was all from prohibition because the booze was so bad in America mm-hmm. that you had to dress it up with sugar. So all of those classic cocktails come from that era, like the old fashions and the Manhattans were, were from Prohibition where you went, we can't serve this to people, can we? It's not anything. It's terps. So we're going to dress it up with sugar and cherries. Oh, wow, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. And I, I had no idea that. So they made it. That's why they threw in all that other jazz to go. Well, it's a good drink, though, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it is delicious. Am I right? Yeah, and then people go, I think that I think that's what I think. I can't believe Prohibition happened. My, my friend Jesse had a great idea for a movie about like the weekend before Prohibition happened, yeah. when they, they were bringing the law on a Monday and some guys turned 21 on the Saturday. It's a great idea for <laughs> a movie. A like, idea. You go, what would you have done like, if, if they said, oh, you can never have another drink? Like, people weren't going overseas back then. No. No, booze, is, it's gone. It's going to be illegal. We're not having booze anymore. What, what must that weekend have been like? Either, either complete and utter chaos or... Total normalcy, and you, you just thought, well, I guess that's over and that's done. As a booze drinker, I, I mean, I would have been, I, I know who I was. Been, I mean, never mind New Year's Eve. If they said, okay, no, no, we're not in business. The bar's open Sunday night, yeah. and on Monday, we're illegal. What do you do? Who, which guy are you? I'm the guy who's plotting and scheming illegal plans to make sure I can secure as much alcohol for the impending Armageddon. I'm that guy. Oh, I'm. Who are you? I'm rolling with Al Capone going, I, there is money to be made here. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. Because the other thing that it gave us was, was crime. It gave us like, organized crime at that level. Organized. Yeah. That was my favorite part about it. This, wasn't, this wasn't just chaos of crime. It, it was, they were specific about their crime. I did like it. When I played the Chicago Theater, they showed me 
Al Capone's booth. If you ever go there, if you're oh, right. looking from the stage, it's it's top right. And the reason it was th- that close to the door is it's closest to the street because there were back end exits that he could get out of if police or someone came to attack him. It was organized. You've, it, you've, you've reminded me of two stories. The first one is another Prohibition story, mm-hmm. which is the Indy 500. This is an idea I had for a movie, which I thought, wouldn't it be great to do the origination of muscle cars, American muscle cars? And where they come from is the distillers of booze, moonshines in the South. Mm-hmm. So they were in an arms race with the police. Right. So the police were like, we've got to stop these guys from bootlegging. And the bootleggers were like, well, we just need to go faster than you in our cars. <laughs> so the cars got steadily faster and faster. Right. And a lot of those original kind of family garages then became the kind of, you know, the, 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 the chop shops where, you know, you put together these race cars. Yeah. And the teams. It's beautiful. Kind of interesting, right? It's very interesting. The idea that those humans. I did a thing recently. I did a gig. I would, it was at the, the, the Netflix is a joke festival in LA. I was playing downtown. And I'd not really been to, I've been to LA many, many times, not been to downtown LA, but your, your Al Capone booth reminds me of this. So I was on stage and the theater, I can't get over how beautiful the theater is. It's like, and it looks more like New York than New York. Yeah. Downtown LA. You go, oh, this is where they should be filming Spider-Man. This is unbelievably beautiful. I'm in the theater. They've redone the theater and it's got three levels. They've only done two of the levels. They haven't redone the top level. Mm. I was kind of on stage going, well, why haven't you done that? And they went... Oh, that was, this used to be segregated. It's a listed building because it's so beautiful and old, but the entrance to that bit was from the back alley. Anyone brown or black had to come in the back alley. So there's no way of getting stairs up to that from the main hall. So we just don't use it. And then I was was blown away by the place, like the history of it and like slightly creepy thinking, wow, that's recent history. Yeah. And they said, this this is, uh, you're standing on a trap door. I was standing on Houdini's trap door. No. It was it was like something from the prestige. I was on the trap door and the guy went, you're on Houdini's trap door and you kind of look down and they've got a crank downstairs where he was cranked up and down. <laughs> it wasn't real magic, everyone. <laughs> to be the cranker. I mean, extraordinary, those kind of, you know, end up in these places where you get to yeah. see these these things. We fall face first into it, especially when you speak to stagehands on theaters, right? Uh, I don't know if I'm at liberty to say, but there's a couple of stories of uh, famously... Uh, maybe the audience can guess. A stagehand told me, and I'm not going to say what city it was in. They can put all these pieces together. Stagehand said, one of the toughest guests we've ever had was this performer, this gentleman. And he walked in and he said, it's shit, but I'll need a catwalk. And they said, a catwalk? He said, I'll need a catwalk. Where? Where did the catwalk go? Well, this is a stage and there's chairs and those are, you can't. And he said, well, I guess I'll just leave town then. And left and decided the gigs are going to be canceled. Fuck it. Unless this person has built a catwalk. And sure enough, two days later, the catwalk was built. And did the person use the catwalk the entire performance? No. Bobby Lee. <laughs> Bobby Lee did this. He's such a brat. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Because traditional Korean fare is to catwalk. But those, those insane demands as well. That like the famous... Um... The Bon Jovi brown M&M story is the one that people go to. Right. You know what the story behind the story was on that, right? No. So the story behind the story was, the, the story everyone knows is they insisted on, the, the, one of the items on their rider list was, we'll have a brandy glass full of brown M&Ms mm-hmm. on, uh, in the dressing room. 
And what it, what it actually, and it sounds like just a ludicrous, like, oh, rock stars, just I want everything my way, a very sort of diva-ish request. What it was was Bon Jovi's light and sound tech was so tough. It was such a, um, a detailed rider that what they used to do is they would arrive at like three in the afternoon, walk in. If they saw a brandy glass full of brown M&Ms, John Bon Jovi would go to sleep. He'd go and sleep for two hours because he would know, oh, they've read everything. Uh, and these guys have paid attention. Right. And if there was some trail mix in a, in a mug, he, he would go, the brown M&Ms, and they'd go, uh, then he would go, okay, we have to go through everything. It's attention we have to detail. go to work. So he would know, that would be his signifier for, right. we, can, we can relax now, these guys have got this. That's really interesting, because they, they were really actually paying attention. As opposed to a ludicrous backstage, I'll need to be knee-deep in hookers and gin or whatever. Which is what your tour is usually consisting of. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> that, what's, the, what's the great tour... The great actor story like, of like big drinkers, um, Richard Harris. You know Richard Harris? Mm -mm. Was, uh, he's a great Irish actor. And he was, uh, he was drinking at the in the coal hole. I knew him a little bit before he died. He was drinking in the coal hole in the Strand. This was in the, the height of his fame. And his, uh, he was an incredible stage actor. I mean, did a lot of great movies, but incredible stage actor. And he was with a friend drinking very heavily. And uh, he's chatting to the friend. He's at the theatre. We should go to the theatre. We should support the theatre more with theatre men. Mm. He goes, yeah, no, we should. There's a matinee. Let's go. So he goes to the, the matinee. There's a Shakespeare performance on at the thing. He sat there, buy a ticket, and they're watching it. And he nudges his friend and goes, this is good. This is where I come on. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. So fucking drunk. That's so great. So drunk for so many years. But how wonderful! That's that. Like what a that that was his disposition. Was like, well, this is this is my life. I get to do. I get to be the puppeteer of this own thing. I own all this. Yeah, it's beautiful. When you said the sleep thing, you reminded me. My buddy did that Wolf of Wall Street, uh, and he said, you know, Scorsese's particular about rest, and uh, the whole deal was a production assistant was allowed. He would take naps, and they'd be shooting sometimes night. Well, often night shoots, and he said a production assistant would rap on the door twice, pop, pop, and if Marty didn't immediately answer, it meant you had to just wait until he would wake up. And he said sometimes it was an hour, sometimes it was three hours, because he just needed, Marty needed his nap. So they weren't allowed to touch it. They weren't allowed to like go, we're going to lose, we're, you know, it's, you know, no, Marty, we got to, so he would go take it, he would just leave in the middle of filming. Imagine if we were that funny. To just be able to take naps. We're not that funny. We can't. I mean, there's no way we could pull that shit. People go, you know, we, we're going to get someone else. Yeah, you're going to find someone else to do. Even this podcast, they would take from you if you yeah, acted like that. Right they just yeah, change no some guy's head inside of there. Yeah, we, yeah, there's other guys that look like this. <laughs> Have you been to the west coast of Ireland? Ten a penny. There's a lot of it about. Yeah, how quickly we'd be replaced for something like that. That's it's interesting why I, that level of fame where, like, at what level could you can you pull that shit? See, I think it's it's not just fame though. It's what made you famous, right? Like you said. You're a very, very famous comedian. You still know better because as a comic, there's that looming thing of, well, there's so many other comedians that are ready to do this thing. Yeah. So if it's, it depends on what you're famous for. Well, also, I mean, being a comic, you ha there's, a, there's a sort of a level of self-awareness. You have to have it. Yeah, slightly, yeah. yeah. But, but I, I kind of like that showbiz thing of like the, the craziest things that people are pulling. It just it becomes normalized. And the threat of being replaced is really harmful. When somebody's like, lets you know. There's a story about a producer that went up to this great actress. At the time, she didn't want to be a part of this film because she didn't want to kiss this her you know her partner in the in the scene. 
And the producer walked up to her and said two words, Kim Basinger, and left. And within moments, that actress was back on set doing the thing because she was about to be very famous at the time. And Kim Basinger was massive. Right. So just two names, just two, two words yeah. to say there's someone else. But if you want to... I don't know, though, because I think like with comedy, like not to... It's, it's an interesting point we're talking about, but that idea with... like The thing I love about comedy, Alan Havey's got a great line on it, where he says we're out for ourselves, but in it together. Yeah. Like, I don't feel there's much competition in comedy. Maybe a little bit early on trying to get on spots and things. But once you have your voice and you do what you do, it's so, it's so different to what other people do. The other people that you like are doing something that's, you know, really very particular. Once you're established, I totally agree. Yeah. We are, you are your own entity. Only you can stop your own career, truly. Once you've gathered an audience, once you've kind of, you know, cultivated your voice or your style or whatever that is, I agree. Competition is, you are, you are your only competition. It's like, well, how much more do I want to continue? What do I want to be my, what is, what's my growth look like? It's less so, oh, cars well, here. Of course, you've got, you know, you've got that thing as well that you talked about on the special about not wanting a legacy. Which is, that's a really, it's an excellent trick. Yeah. It's an excellent trick Mm -hmm. because you go, well, wanting a legacy, just kind of, you make the wrong choices for you. Yeah. People want a legacy. You go, no, comedy rots. Yeah. When did you last watch a comedy movie from the 1920s? (laughs) You popping that in? (laughs) It's a while ago. (laughs) A while ago, isn't it? Uh, And they they got big laughs at the time. Yeah. But it, it rots. That's fine. Well, I think, and I think what I truly meant in that was I've never been fascinated with, uh, the idea that I think I think it's it's interesting to think I want as many people to know me while I'm here. That is the self indulgence. As a comedian and performer, you're like, well, I want everybody to see me. Look at my magic trick. Look at me. Look at me. But when I go, you watched it back. Is that a good idea? Is that a very good idea? No, I'm kidding. Very. Good. <laughs> I think it's you sure you want people to see that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I yeah. I saw it, but yeah, I, I yeah. don't think it's for everyone. <laughs> I think once you go, I'm okay with it not being cemented. I this. They're going to tear down your statue anyway. Not, I mean, not to get philosophical, but we're drinking whiskey. Why not? Please. Um, I think fame has replaced heaven in a secular world. People think fame is the land of milk and honey. Mm. And, and, you know, to an extent it is, you know, um, from where I'm calling, it's great. But it's, it's almost like that thing of people want to be famous and to be known. And that's a, an immortality that we've lost. Right. Because it used to be the promise of religion that, you know, live well now for the next life. Yeah. You think fame is the, the, what's, what is the... Fame is heaven. Yeah. Fame is heaven for, that's, if I was famous, everything would be okay. If I go to heaven, everything's okay. It's the land of milk and honey. And how is it being famous? It's pretty good, I gotta say. <laughs> I gotta say, it's pretty good. <laughs> it no, is you have, you, ha, you have the same, your, your problems are just different. That's all. My, my, my theory is it's kind of a natural way to be, because we sh- we're designed for the longest period of our evolution to live in tribes of 60 to 80. So meeting a stranger would have been the unusual thing. Mm. That would have been the, I saw a guy that I didn't know who wasn't from our tribe. That would be the unusual thing. And now we're kind of, we're living quite alienated lives where we're kind of hermetically sealed. And then, and then, you know, why, why are things like this so popular? Because people want conversation. Yeah. They just want to be with other people and chatting. And at the end of the day, so many people are kind of, uh, you know, are on their own, kind of hermetically sealed. Watching other people talk. Yeah. But specifically because you've created something outside of this. So people are like, I want to know what you are on the other side of that. This is another window into the world that is heaven, quote unquote. It's like we're a trap door. 
Yeah. Podcasts are like a trapdoor to heaven. We're like the secret little entrance of like, you're a... It is a weird thing of like, what we do, like, is there's a byproduct of what we do for a living. And the, the little tribe that we joined, and we joined the comedy tribe, and mm. it's a great tribe. Anyone watching this that's super into comedy, that uh, wants to try comedy, I always say, do it. Try five minutes. It makes all the comedy you ever see better. So right. we join that that little tribe and then we can, we kind of, you know, we get on with all the other comics and we kind of, we roll along quite nicely. It doesn't feel to me like there's a massive competition that we have. No, well, it's also, again, it's because your status, right? Though when you're young, it is way more difficult and you're way more catty and way more uh, jealous and judgmental because you're searching for the reasons that you aren't. And I think that that parallels every other universe. Same thing in business settings and school settings and as a youth too. It's the same thing as a child. You, we've carried it over into our literal career is it's, it's individualized competition, competition, competition until you achieve a little bit, even on a little bit. And then you go, oh, right. If I just focus more on my footwork. I won't have to worry about how other people are dancing. The, the idea as well that you, you know, I think when you start out in comedy, you're sometimes like blown away, like really upset by someone doing incredibly well and you can't see what the value is. Mm -hmm. You can't see what they're doing. You can't see why that's appealing because you go, well, they don't have, they have jokes, but then they're incredibly charming, incredibly right. likable. Right. I always find it kind of, it's, it's weird. So I think appreciating that and just kind of looking at it and going, well, yeah, it's diff different strokes for different folks. Sure. I always think like the two, the two big ones for me is charm and charisma. People are either charming or charismatic. So if like, the big examples would be, let's take um, uh, Trump and Obama, right? Obama is incredibly charming. Like shockingly so. The head is to one side, uh, speech pattern. He's, he's about 92 slow. beats a minute. Yeah. It's like, he's got this really lovely way about him. It's, it's, I come to you. I'll explain it. Trump is incredibly charismatic. He is. Now, I'm not a huge fan of Trump, but he's, you can't take it away. And they're both funny. And he's, you come to me. And it's a very different energy. And I think most comics, you could put them in in, in, in either one of those categories. And whatever category you're in, you desperately want to be in the other one. Of course. I've got zero charm. No warmth whatsoever. <laughs> and I look at these charming motherfuckers on stage and go, oh my God, must be so easy. But your, but your charisma's through the roof. Well, yeah, it's that thing of like the, the, you know, the, the jokes and what you bring. It's different. I mean, I suppose the other analogy would be um, Angelina Jolie and uh, uh, Rachel from Friends. You know, that's Trump and who's... Uh, well, Angelina Obama. Jolie is, is all... <laughs> All charisma. Yeah. On a, you want to put her on a pedestal, literally. Yeah. And, you know, Rachel's incredibly charming. Like, you think she is your friend. So Rachel from Friends is Obama. Um, yeah. It, and Angelina yeah. Jolie is Trump. Yeah. That's, that sounds right. What kind of, who would, who would Trump have been in the stand-up comedy world? What kind of comic would Trump have been? Like, let's just say Trump and Obama are stand-up comics. Well, Trump, I mean, the dice clay is too obvious. Yeah. <laughs> it just feels like that's... <laughs> it's on the nose. It's right there. Sure, sure. Um... It's interesting. I think, uh, I, I don't know. Who would Trump be? If it was a re-embodiment, if it was almost like a, you know, like a reincarnation. Well, it's interesting. Trump... I think, I think uh, Obama is Chappelle. I think it's like the, it's charm to a ludicrous degree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, for me, I think uh, charisma-wise, I don't know, charisma-wise, you'd... Who's got it like that? You would... You'd go a long way to find someone better than Chris Rock in the charisma stakes. Sure. And it's interesting. I did the double header gigs with them in Amsterdam. And it was really interesting watching. There's, there's no wrong or right. There's no one better than anyone else. It's like very different stylistically. Yeah. I mean, for me, Chris Rock is the GOAT. For me, it's like. The GOAT for you, without a doubt. The best writing, the best performance, the best. Yeah. I mean, just there's nothing. 
I would change about it. I'm, I watch him and it's like, I go, oh, I can't. <laughs> Why do I even bother? <laughs> In here, we pour whiskey. Hey, I've talked a lot on this show about Squarespace, about building a site. And I got to tell you, I use Squarespace because it worked so well for me. Uh, because I don't know what I'm doing. When I went to go build my site, I had almost no clue about how to do almost anything. And they had it so simply laid out that it was almost mindless. They have member areas. Uh, they make it easy for creators to monetize their content and uh, expertise in a way that fits their brand. With member areas, you can unlock new revenue streams for your business and free up time in your schedule by selling access to gated content like videos, online courses, or newsletters. They have appointment scheduling, which is wonderful. Uh, you can schedule uh, for classes or sessions, whatever you're, uh, whatever you're doing right there on the Squarespace website. Clients can easily... Uh, see your availability or reschedule if need be. Um, they also have a video studio, which I think is really, really cool. If you're a creator, you can create pro-level videos effortlessly. Squarespace Video Studio app helps you make and share engaging videos to tell your story, grow your audience, and drive those sales. And my favorite is the analytics. Combined with the connected social media accounts, you're going to get analytics, insights to how to grow your business, learn where your site visits are coming from and sales are coming from to analyze which channels are most effective. I love this because it lets me know where you guys are and where I can go to do my next tour. So that's how we find out where you are and where I need to go. If you're looking to create a new site, go to squarespace.com slash whiskey for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, use the offer code whiskey to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace.com slash whiskey. Use that offer code whiskey. Save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Ginger. I like gingers. It's such a good so feeling. Good. But it's a good feeling. Yeah. You're like, I love, I love it. I love it. Look, I went to go see Dave and, and Donnell when they came here. And I was like, <clears throat> I don't know. It makes you proud in a weird way. Because you're like, this is great. Look, at, also, all, look think, at what we can do. Look at I what think, happens. I think this is very new. Oh, I think comedy is very new. I think, like, I mean, you can obviously trace it back much, much further. But really, when you look at, you know, Carlin in America in the early, you know, in the in early 70s, yeah. like going out, playing concert halls, not really, not being on a bill, just being, you just come out to see him on his own, like he's a band. It's quite a new thing. It's like 50 years old. Yeah. As a career, as a job, as something. I mean, there's nightclub comics before that. And I, I realize you can trace it back, but it feels like it's a recent thing. A very American kind of, uh, you know, it's like, what's America given the world? Well, it's, you know, jazz and westerns, stand-up comedy. It's a, it's a real art form. Yeah. And it's quite new. So it feels like the, the Mount Rushmore hasn't quite been They're not done chiseling. Yet. Yeah. They still it's, got a couple of slots left. It's exciting. Yeah, well, that is good. You know, Cosby's down. You've got to <laughs> they took him down? That. Why did they take him down? Leave him up there. It's a long story. You didn't hear? <laughs> I have no idea. Someone who had the great joke in... Oh God, I can't think of the guy's name. The New York comic had a great joke when the Cosby, st when the story broke. You mean about? You mean he went? He went? It's he shit. It's he said. She said. She said. She said. And then she said. And then she said. Yeah, who did that? I can't remember who said that. This guy used to drive a cab. Great guy. Oh God, used to play Gotham all the time. Ah, give me the physical attributes. More whiskey. But I like. You know what I used to like about drinking. You, a night in the pub would be trying to think of this comic's name. Yeah. Now with Google, everything... Uh, well, that's why I don't like looking on the... Just leave it... I, I like to let it live up to the... Little and lie to me, and then I'll, we'll just guess maybe that's it as well. Dave. Oh, it was Dave. Yeah, Dave's good. Where did I see you? Where did we run into each other here in Melbourne, Australia? In... 
Uh, Russell Crowe's house? Russell Crowe's house. Yeah. It's a weird place to run into another comic. To go back to what you were saying when you feel like it's a... When you're like, oh, a comedian. Yeah, there's... But I mean, it is that thing where you, you be at a big showbiz party or an event or whatever, and there's another comedian, it's like, oh, we don't know each other that well. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is going to... We hey. have... Yeah, hey, hi. We have to gonna be friends. Great. Well, also because I, I had no business being there. Uh, I was brought from another person. And not very nice of Russell to let us into his house. Um, but so it was just so strange and surreal to be there on the patio getting high. And then I turn and you were there. And I was like, Jimmy Carr's here. And I, I, I but it's, it's, it's like, get of everyone. course you're there. <laughs> of course you're there. By the way, one of the funniest moments of the night is, and he, I know he won't mind me saying this, but uh, William H. Macy is there. And we're on the patio having like a well in-depth conversation. He was speaking about rivers because, you know, the waterway that runs through yeah. Melbourne. And he was talking about riverways and we was talking about like when they grow dirty and, and how they become the color they become and when they were clear prior and what animals are able to create new ecosystems. And it's like kind of in depth and I'm high and I'm listening and listening. And then at some point he goes, the music is far too loud inside. I said, yeah, it is. It is. And he goes, far too loud. And then he stared off into nothing. And that was the end of the, And I go, well, I'll go get, I'm going to go get another drink. It was the, it was like as if he was saying, I'm done Talking? I don't know if there's a volume of music where that that level of river chat yeah. lights up a party. <laughs> it was a, he wanted to talk river talk. I talked river talk with William H Macy. I was fine with it. I was just listening to everything he had. It's to interesting. Say. There is a level of marijuana that's like, yeah, that sounds like a fun chat. I was I was nowhere near that level. I was way above it. <laughs> I was at the point where I was like, I'm getting jittery. I'm gonna have to lie and say I have to go to the bathroom again for the third time, which I do. That's my out. By the way, if you're with me at a party. And I have to go to the bathroom again. <clears throat> I'm trying to get out as fast as I can. People know he has a cocaine problem, right? <laughs> yeah, they do. They should. I wish. I wish. I couldn't afford it. I can't afford cocaine. That's a p- very pricey drug. I would go for something a little bit more low to the ground. Easier to kick crack seems a little bit easier to get. It seems to be crystal meth here is the, is the popular thing. In Melbourne? Yeah, uh, in Australia, yeah. Oh, is it really? I think like it's is that big down here? Crystal drugs. meth. Wow. So that's like the new... Is fentanyl good here? Fentanyl doesn't even know what fentanyl is. Behind the times, wow. loser, dork, um, loser. Dork. We're high right now. Um, I think it's difficult to get drugs in here. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it's a I, long way. Well, we were smoking. It's a logistical the- nightmare. How does it get? <laughs> really feel bad for the cartels. Going, wow, it's a lot of a lot of miles at sea. I used to have a joke about that about the guy that that was like in in uh, the guy who did logistics for gangs. You know, that was doing like bullet counting. Was like. You know, you do have to sign out when you take a new round of bullets because they're, they're like, listen, we've been spending way too much on ammunition. You really have to log in when you're taking bullets I out of the- a gig a couple of, uh, a couple of months ago. It was in um, New Zealand and in January. And I was chatting to this guy in the front row. I said, what do you do? Uh, I said, is there any crime here? And, uh, and they go, I think I went, oh, yeah. And then he was talking about being in the Hells Angels. And he was in the Hells Angels. And he was like 60 pounds soaking wet. That's a tiny little skinny guy. Mm-hmm. Well, what do, you, what do you do? The admin? And then, and then he literally answered the question. He goes, I do the imports and exports because we... Like, he logs it in. tell us. Yeah. A small town. What are you thinking? But someone must be... That's why I used to say the bit was about, like, there had to be a guy who was... Lo- who was the respo- Who was the organization in the organized crime? There had to be the guy who's like... It must be the, the, the same Al-Qaeda as well. There must be someone... Go- guys, 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 we need to... Come on. What are we doing? Yeah. You're using a little bit too many bombs. I'm not, it's just, the rocket launchers are fun, but we're not supposed to use them on Wednesdays and Thursdays. We talked about that. Slow down, boys. Slow down. There has to be one guy cracking the whip. Yeah. There's got to be one. Roadside bombs are free. (laughs) Oh, 
You think these grow on trees? <laughs> Can you imagine? That's another movie you and I should write. We should write about the guy who does inventory for Al-Qaeda, for international terrorist organizations. He's up for hire. He just gets fired, and he's putting out his resume to the world. I'm looking for... I'll Apparently, do... that's why these things peter out. So, you you know, you've got... Um... Yeah. Al-Qaeda, the guys join and whatever, and they're all the fighters. But they don't have any... The backroom no bureaucracy system. isn't there. So it just... <laughs> so really, the, the governments shouldn't really go to war against them. It's just, that, okay, that's going to peter out in about four years. Right, this will fizzle away on its yeah. own. I was at a resort in Cancun doing a gig with Bobby. We were doing like a... I think it was a Just for Laughs. It was like they first tried it last year. And we go to this resort in Cancun. <clears throat> and then... Everyone is like, you can hear everyone's getting a little like, did you hear what happened? Did you hear what happened? And, and two resorts up north of us, someone was shot and killed. And Again, Bobby. Bobby, again. Number one suspect. <laughs> Always. And he says, I said, what's going on? And they said, the woman that worked at the resort said, don't worry about it. it no, nobody was, nobody, uh, no, no tourists were killed. And I was like, well, who, who got killed? What do you mean? People, someone was killed. I have to pretend to care about the yeah, locals. Yeah, yeah. I can't. Please. <laughs> give me, give me Please, a chance. I'm an American Give tourist. me a chance to show a little bit of heart. Yeah. And she says, uh, the cartel, is, it's just somebody killing somebody uh, on the inside. The cartel will know not to harass tourists because they want to keep the business going because they control most of those resorts in Cancun. So they would never hurt. told me an extraordinary story recently about Los Angeles. About like, when was the last time you heard about the Bloods and the Crips? Long time. And they said the cartels basically came in, cleaned house. I don't know whether that's true. I think they're still there, but I think they've been. I think uh, they've been more. Uh, I think they've gotten quieter. You know, I think they've gone to they've mellowed. Yeah, they're less. Their their presence is down. At what level of mellow do we try and sign up? I'm not gonna lie. I, I, I never really, almost never. I'm not in for it. You and I aren't really built for it, as they say. For 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 thug life. Yeah, it's not yeah. our thing. Although. You could what, be. What gang would have us? <laughs> what gang? Thank God for comedy. <laughs> what gang? This would is have the gang us? we're in. Yeah, the, ga- the gang we're in is of. Uh, it's I have interesting to you talk about that, like the pride. Sometimes when you see other people's comedy specials, or you see, uh, you know, someone's show, and it blows your mind. Yeah. And there is that thing of like going, "Oh, we're, we're in this, we're in this group, we're in this kind of." There's a band of it's comedians. Pr- it's really well. Neil Brennan said that that he was like, "Do you think that this is common?" And I said, well, I, no, I, no. But he goes, imagine there's a couple hundred people that make a living doing this on the globe you sit on. A couple yeah. hundred at most. He, he did the keynote at, uh, at Just for Laughs. He did like a speech at Just for Laughs. And he made the point. He said, there's, he looked it up. He Googled it. There's 50,000 brain surgeons in the world. Brain surgeons. 50,000. 50,000. How many guys would you trust to make a special? It's like, and the number is depending on how bitchy and how many of these you've had. Yeah, it's anywhere between fifty and three hundred, at the most. Yeah, but that's true though. It is right though to think. Yeah, I guess this is extremely odd and rare. I think it's just new. I think it's a new, very new. Yeah, it's a new sort of art form. You know, the way of doing theatre, way of speaking, and I think it's just going to get bigger and bigger. I think where, people really like it. Where do you think? Uh, do you, will you do comedy till? Till they call you to, to go away and die. Yeah. You don't, but do you have an end out? Some people are like, I'd like to wrap it up at some point. Yeah, no, I think that, that no, I'm a real sort of journeyman. I'd like to die with my boots on. I think that'd be, like that. that'd be the way to go. It's also, I like the process. I like writing and I like, I like performing, like writing, like putting a show together. I like that performance, that idea that the, the, the high you get from that. Yeah. I mean, you get slightly, someone told me something very interesting recently um, about performers anxiety. They said, the first night you do a new show, 
and you play you and you feel it like you're drive heaving at the side of the stage and oh my god can i do this can i do this and you go out and you do it you overcome that stage fright night 30 night 40 of the tour or night 100 or 200 of the tour you're chatting to the stage hands you're hanging out you're just taking it easy right mm -hmm. so you'd imagine the level of anxiety is lower it's exactly the same we've to we totally normalize the behavior because we know we adapt right but the level of uh like the chemical level is identical chemical level the the the, the anxiety inside is the same crazy so we pretend we're cool with it oh i'm excited about the gig but no our bodies are like <laughs> fight or flight every time what's the moment do you know the moment every time is it whether you step on stage or is, is there a maybe a ritualistic thing the moment you settle into yourself before you go on stage or is it when the first joke comes out on stage yeah and it, it different at different gigs uh billy Connolly, uh, who's kind of our george carlin great comic yeah talks about toes and heels so, so for the first like half an hour of the gig, you're on your toes or first 10 minutes. Sometimes the first joke, you're on your toes, right? High alert. <clears throat> and then at some stage, you're like, okay, these guys like me. They want to be here. This is all great. This is as it should be. Yeah. You never want to go out with that attitude. No. Nobody, well. It's got to be a bit of. They feel it right away. The audience is so much more keen than anybody ever gives them credit for. They know so well. It's like when you tell a joke for the umpteenth time and you're kind of burnt out on it. But you feel sometimes as if, well, I'm giving it the same energy, I guess. But no, I, th they, I think they sometimes can smell it. Yeah. it. No, it doesn't get the same. You have to remember what it was you were thinking when you wrote it, when it made you laugh. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you do know right away that you're like, Ugh, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing it justice because obviously I've done it enough. Where now I'm, it's maybe not my favorite thing to do. That's when I think I start to understand when to put it away, either to, to utilize it for put it on a tape or a thing or throw it in the trash. When I start to go, ah, this isn't, I don't, do I love that? I mean, it got good laughs sometimes, but I just, maybe it's not, maybe I didn't mean it enough for, I, for it to carry on. Yeah, it's interesting. You come back to things though. It's interesting, like if you put it away for a while and come back to it. I mean, I do think that discipline now, the, the, the world that we live in, you know, Netflix, God love them, putting out all these comedy specials. It's such a brilliant discipline to go, right, and then I needed to write some new stuff. Because yeah. what would motivate you to? Like people used to be in show business and they, you know, if they were comics, they had 20 minutes of stuff and that was all they needed. Their whole career. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's insane. You had five minutes and I remember who it was, but they said they were touring on five to seven minutes because they did the tonight show. Um, it was a famous comic and they were just rummaging around the country getting away with murder. Cause they were like, I, I had, five, I did the tonight show. I did Carson and they thought, well, let's put him in a room, yeah, but a room I needed to do 40 minutes. How I, what was it? I couldn't do. So they were doing wow. They were doing their five minutes a few times and then slowly but surely built it up. I think that was the beginnings of what a road dog became, where it's like, well, I guess you have to you can build on the road, but you have to have a few tricks up your sleeve. You save a few little magic tricks. You know what I mean? You like slot them in, slot them in, slot them in in between. And then that that's what the I think that's what the road dog became. Local material, speaking to people, and building these hours completely on the road. Which it's a trick in of itself. I that's that scares the shit out of me to go in with almost nothing and to go, I, I guess. I do a thing now where out. at the end of every show, I take out what I've written that day and just go, let's try some new stuff. Yeah. And it's quite nice because the show is often, it's quite bulletproof. Like when you're sort of, you know, a couple of hundred dates into the tour, 
you really know what you're doing, you know, performance-wise, you want it to be great, and you want to build into bits with the audience, but you know what's, you know what's the outcome is, this is going right. to be a great show, they're going to, you know, I always think of the show as the advert for next time. All right. They've already bought tickets, I could do, I could suck this evening, who cares? It's next time, I'll be back in two years, I want them to buy another ticket. Right. Come on. Yeah, it is. It'll be good, it'll be the best night. And then trying new stuff at the end is quite nice, because it's sort of letting them see behind the curtain. I'm like, oh, sometimes he has thoughts that are not very funny. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. And you know right away, the moment you try something new and they kind of, <laughs> and they peter out and you go, right, well, I've got to give it a whirl. There's no other time. I have to give you something. I gave you everything I've got. I've got to give you a little bit more. Sometimes I'll, and I'll do audience interaction at the end in the same regard where I'll have a couple of things and I'll, I will lie by using it, utilizing it during crowd work. Same kind of idea, but if I've written a few things, I'll try to interject it into a few crowd work moments to see how it fits and to see if it's if it sticks. I think it'd be more difficult with your delivery as well because it's so naturalistic. Yeah. Whereas if I'm doing lines, like it's jokes. It's quite old school in a way. Like people, not that many people do it. Not many people go down that road of going, it's it's stand or fall a joke. Yeah. Tell a story. It's still a story, even if it doesn't get a laugh at the end. It still takes you somewhere yeah. on an emotional journey. If it's just a joke and it's a setup and a punchline and then nothing, it's like, oh, that's... Do you ever, have you ever written with a metronome? I try and go to 92 beats a minute. You do? Yeah. Right on the hum, just every time, pop, 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 just humming along. I literally will play songs that are 92 beats a minute pre-show. I think that's where the cadence of comedy lives. I know I'm a weird train spotter, but... <laughs> And I knew you were autistic. I just needed a kind of, I needed yeah, validation need to, for yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> for, for reals. It is impressive though that, that your rhythm is, yeah, I don't want to fucking blow you on the show because we do video. If it was just audio, it'd be fine. But you really do have such a great rhythm to the way you tell jokes. And it's almost like as a comic, I can almost see how you write it a little bit in a way where yeah. I can feel it, which a lot of guys I can't. <clears throat> I can't tell how Dave writes. I don't, I, I, like I see him sometimes and I see what he does when he's kind of winging it or doing late nights and long drawn out trying stuff like at the store when he comes to the store, but I still don't really understand sometimes his, how his formula comes together, but yours is very old school and specific that I feel like when I see a good joke of yours, not only do I laugh cause it's very good, but then I laugh cause I go, man. I saw how he put that together in his mind and it's really it's often reverse engineered. It's often the punchline came first. Sure. Dave does that a lot. He says, right. He says he punchlines out and then tries to find other stuff, but yours is very rhythmic though, right? Yours is very much like you slotted it where it belonged. Uh, you know? Yeah. You, yeah. you, you wrote, you just, you just wrote it back. Sometimes backwards. a great phrase is like that. Sometimes the thing I love most about comedy is like a, a great turn of phrase in a show yeah. is enough for me. It's like yeah, along the way you pepper in a few things that really, Oh, Sticky, sticky little phrases. Do you put it, do you put stuff in your phone? Do you, do you, during the day, do you do the phone thing or do you wait to get home to write as one big chunk? Oh no, I constantly, I've never sat down to write stand up. I just, it's a constant. Right. And there's some guys I know that well, don't log. You slightly, um, like move at a different speed on stage. Like your mind moves just quicker on stage. So you're more likely to come up with stuff. So I always note down anything I say on stage. I just, okay. Right. Can you, do, you, do you put stuff in your notes in your phone, you know, the note app? Will you, give, will you open it up and show me, say one thing that's in there that you found interesting? One thing that, okay. Uh, to recently. Yeah, sure. I'll give you this. I'll share mine, you share yours. All right, this might be too. Because I've been note apping uh, for, since, I, since I found out it was a thing. 
In here, we pour whiskey. This episode of Whiskey Ginger is brought to you by BetterHelp. Hey, I've been using BetterHelp for a long time. I've talked about it on here many and many a times. When you're at your best, you can do great things. Sometimes life gets you bogged down, no matter who you are, where you're from, what you are, where you're going, what you're doing. When you feel overwhelmed, uh, it's like you're not showing up in the way that you want to. And a therapist can help get you there, okay? Uh, Therapy is wonderful. It can get you closer to the best version of yourself because when you feel empowered, uh, you're more prepared to take on everything that life throws at you. If you're thinking about giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. Here's why. It's convenient, affordable, flexible, and it's entirely done online. You do it from the comfort of your own home. Don't got to go anywhere. Don't got to leave your place and get in a car and drive to a location, trying to find parking. You don't have to do that. You just fill out a brief questionnaire online, get matched with a licensed therapist, and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. I benefited heavily from therapy, specifically doing it from home uh, over the pandemic, but still can do it now because it's nice and convenient to not have to leave. And if you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com slash whiskey today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, betterhelp, H-E-L-P, betterhelp.com slash whiskey. Ginger. I like gingers. Okay, let's see here. What have I... um... This is not funny by any semblance, right. uh, but uh, uh, oh, Bill Withers was playing. Did you hear that? Could you guys hear that? Bill Withers' Grandma's Hands was playing on my. Nice. That's a great tune. Just playing in the background. Um, this is not a joke, nor is it funny at all. But I did notice this walking around Melbourne. There is a lot of. I just wrote this down because I was like, talk about this to yourself when you're writing other jokes. There are many street performers all over the downtown Melbourne area. All leveling degrees of skill, right? Like, it's interesting. There was a woman that was singing that should have been inside of a concert hall. She was so good. I was a little shocked. Where most street performers in New York or in America, you know, it's they're on the street. On how, per- how lucky are we that comedy is a thing? I always think that when I see someone juggling fire. That's us. Going, well, that's more skill. You put right. as many hours into that. Right. It's just no one. It's like the guy that's number one in the world at badminton. And you go... Oh, if it had been tennis, would have made so much money. Edmonton, you have to work three jobs to pay for your shuttlecocks because it's not a thing. No one cares. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. We got lucky. We're in an industry where people care. But it's also quite. So a, it's, I think it's because of, it's impressive. Shuttlecocking is just not. Well, I don't know, but I mean, uh, you know, the street performers. Sometimes we saw this thing at Cirque du Soleil once. We went to a Cirque du Soleil show and they had these girls come in on, eight girls came in on unicycles, tall unicycles, really high. Oh, the ones where, yeah, 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 yeah. And then the girls started flicking their heads like this and these silver pots flipped off their heads and onto their feet and they caught them on their feet yeah. whilst on unicycles. And then they were kicking them onto other girls' heads. <laughs> and we were watching it and we were in hysterics, me and my girl, because we were going, well, did this start with the girls that kick the pots and someone went, we need unicycles? <laughs> or was it a unicycle troop that went, we need an angle? We need something here. Yeah. Get something to be able to. What's flippable? Pots? Good. Pots. Get one. Okay. How long is this going to take? Well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean we have to do it. Um, last thing I wrote down was <laughs> I, I'm, a, I'm a, an old dad. I'm, I've got kids now, but they're very young. And I wrote a bit the other day about my only hope of being a grandparent is teenage pregnancy. So uh, I've written my Birds and the Bees talk with my daughter, which is, you want to hear it? Mm-hmm. Get some. <laughs> Catch your dick, baby. 
Ah, <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, the other thing I wrote down the other day was because uh, I was playing, I went and played crazy golf with my son, uh, which he called silly golf, which I thought was adorable. That part is what, the, then, what uh, we call crazy it. Golf. Uh, crazy golf. But they can't call it crazy golf alone. It's going to be neurologically diverse golf. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, good. that's coming, isn't it? That's going to be in the next six months. Someone's going to go, whoa, oh. don't call it crazy anymore. Don't say that word. Yeah. It's neurologically different. The other game we've been playing in the hotel, uh, me and my girls, uh, uh, dad or daddy issues. <laughs> at the breakfast buffet. You ever play that in a fancy hotel? No. So you go into the fancy hotel, and you see a old guy, 50, 60 years of age, with a stunning 21-year-old. Daddy or daddy issues. Oh, wow. That's Great fun at a good. resort. It's yeah. Like, oh, he didn't kiss his daughter like that. <laughs> or, well, maybe yeah. he did, depending on what part of the country. Yeah, he wouldn't from. slap his daughter's ass like that. <laughs> Too hard. That's so yeah, constantly like thinking things good. Then I don't know what the hit rate is. I think the hit rate gets better as you progress as a comedian. Yeah. I think I've got a better hit rate than now uh, than I used to, but it's still not great. It's still like most things you go, it's okay. And if it gets a laugh, but not a big laugh, you go, I'm never going to use it. Then you find the other piece of it. Like you said, when you slot something into something, like I I had said, uh, because a guy said to me, like the first week I was here, uh, he was mocking the idea that, you know, Americans and guns. It's this old gun thing, you know, of like, where's your gun then, mate? You know, like this thing. Oh, oh yeah, where's well, your LA? Huh? Where's your gun? And I was like, <clears throat> not all Americans own guns. That's such a silly idea. And I was like, what would, I was like, what would emasculate the thought of guns more than the sound of guns? Because uh, someone on set said, I'd never shoot a gun. And I said, they are very fun. It's when you shoot one and you feel it, the power is so overwhelming you're like holy shit it does something to you it makes you it turns you on a little bit as a human for some reason because you know how deadly it is but the noise is so loud it's um it's diminishing it makes you feel so tiny like a machine is so much stronger than you and better than you i said the, the way that they could do it was emasculating gun sounds was like you know if you shot instead of if it was like uh, if you shot it and it made a <laughs> like a coming sound yeah <laughs> You'd immediately emasculate this thing that Americans have as this prideful, like, oh, fucking take my AR-15. Just simple pink. Right, just pink, just only pink guns. Pink. You, uh, yes, anyone can buy a gun. Yes, there's no background checks. They're bright pink. Bright pink. Bright pink. <laughs> it says daddy in cursive on it. Yeah, and, it's got, and they all have a picture of a unicorn on them. <laughs> and they're collectible. <laughs> Collect them all. A gun, is, a gun trigger is attached. The other thing we wrote in, I wrote in was a gun trigger is attached to a device that is inside your asshole. And every time you shoot, it has to go deep inside your asshole and come like a corkscrew goes in your ass and comes back out. So it's either pleasure or pain, but either way. I'm with the internet. I'm starting to think you are gay. <laughs> I am a little gay. I am a little gay. <laughs> Percentage. What is it? The Kinsey scale. Everyone's got it. Well, the, the Kinsey scale is interesting for me. I tried to write a thing the other day uh, about um, if, you, if, you, if you're a guy and you wouldn't fuck Ryan Gosling, that's homophobic. Yes. That's actually homophobic. Come on. Come on. Yeah. We're reasonable. Yeah. He's so good looking. It, stop. I find that. Don't, don't leave me down that this a path. Weird, No, no. I find that a weird thing of like, I remember once meeting Brad Pitt and Jennifer uh, and, and uh, Angelina Jolie. Obama. I had a thing. Oh, I'm sorry. Trump. I met them. Uh, uh, so Angelina Jolie, one of the most attractive people I've ever, I mean, stunning looking woman. I'm a totally straight guy. And then Brad Pitt, and I couldn't take my eyes off Brad Pitt because you so rarely see a man that attractive. Mm-hmm. Seeing a girl that attractive, not that unusual. Girls are pretty beautiful. Yeah, they're a beautiful yeah. subset of humanity. They figured it out. But but guys, uh, seeing attractive a guy that's attractive, what what have you done? Who are you? <laughs> and what is it? Why did they get Crazy. that? And you know, have you seen his parents? 
Oh, they're very average-looking human beings. What tricks me out is, why do very average-looking people create sometimes the best-looking people? It's rare that you see two extremely good-looking parents have just as good-looking of a child. Usually the child's fine, pretty, because good f symmetrical features. But whenever you see a superstar, like an extremely handsome or sexy person, their parents are always okay. I think it's that uh, nature loves diversity. It's, yeah. some, it's always something in the mix right. that's just the sweet sauce. Were your parents good-looking? Uh, I think my mother was kind of a, kind of an attractive. Was a babe woman, yeah. Father was, was hideous. No, an Irish man, you know, had like a potato. Hideous, whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, th I think I don't know. That sounds. This sounds very Freudian. We should talk about being enmeshed and yeah. You did it, not me. Oh, sure, <laughs> sure. But it's, Freud, it is that thing though. When if you have a parent that's died, it's like that thing of like they're kind of a. Uh, put it on a pedestal, and you kind of remember the the best ever photo of them becomes the image. But that's good, though. Yeah, I think I the guess. brain does that. As I think the brain chemistry tricks us into feeling that way. You don't need that last fight or that last thing in your mind, so it wipes it away because you go, well, you know. It's like that funeral scene in Curb. It was, it was a Curb where everyone said such nice things, then it was over. The relief was off his shoulders when he was like, he was an asshole. He's like, he was. He was a fucking asshole. Why? Everyone was, oh, he's so great, so great. And it's so funny because that's Larry's obvious sense of humor, but most of the time... I could never get that to work as a bit. I had an idea for a bit about uh, someone going, oh, he's in, he's in a bad mood. That guy's always in a bad mood. If you're in a bad mood all the time, you're an asshole. She has. a name for that. Right. You're an asshole. Yeah, you're an asshole. Yeah, it's not the universe. You did it. You did almost all of it. You created almost all your negative shit around you. And by continuing on, a piece of it is uh, it's, uh, beneficial for your being a dick does give you payback because people start to treat you that way. So it validates why you're so angry all the time. You know what I mean? It gives yeah. them more resonance to be like, oh, this guy's a fucking asshole to me about the thing. Well, you were mean to him in the first place. Even, but you don't notice it anymore because it's like when you're in a bad mood, your transference of en negative energy, you, you don't understand it unless you, see you, unless you saw yourself doing it on tape. Like has your, has your girlfriend ever said to you, you, sh you should hear the way you say that to me sometimes. Something along that line of like, did you hear what you had the way you just said that or how you talk? And I'll be like, I don't, well, how did I say it? But yeah. if you videotaped it, you would look at it and go, oh, yeah. Good God. What a bass in that voice. Yeah. I, it is a weird thing where you realize happiness is a decision that you make. Right. It's a very odd because it's like you're responsible. It's not the world. It's you. Yes. It puts the, I like anything that puts that kind of uh, the control within you. Right. You're, you're, you're way more in the cockpit than you think, even though. People would say, oh, well, then what if your life is in complete shambles and all the disarray? And it's like, right. It's not saying happiness is an easy choice, but, but you are making then, the choice. You've only got to look at the, you know, all the, you can have all the money in the world and all the stuff and all the things and still be fairly chaotic. Of course. Yeah. Of co well, that doesn't, it doesn't solve, that solves nothing. You still have to continue to make the choice the way you greet, the way you treat. And the more you greet and treet people, the jaded you become, right? We meet a million people. I, this gentleman and the other people that worked here are wonderful people. And I consciously always have to go into things going, I meet a million people in the business, in, in this world. And the more I learn to continue to check back into greet, meet and greet and treat of like, well, it's a new person. You want them to be happy around you. So be happy around them. It, but it's a job. It, it's a task. Not to say I was going to be mean, but you'd be... I don't know. It'd be nothing. Yeah. It'd be passive yeah, time. It's, it's easy to. Well, I also think you've got to realize how the world sees you. What was the thing you were saying at lunch about what your what my your dad used to said? say? It's a great phrase. What was it? Again? Yeah, my dad said uh, 
you are who they say you are the you are who they say you are to them that's what he used to say you are who they say you are to them it's so great because it is that thing where you go you can't really change the way the world sees you like i'm you know i've got this english accent so i think people assume you're a little bit standoffish like like just going in they sort of oh he's he's a bit Actually, if you're at all friendly, they're kind of oh, pleasantly surprised. Well, Americans always think Brits, um, there, there's an American conception that British people are always smarter. They immediately think, well, that guy's very bright. That's, we always think you're smart. I mean, this is a really bad example. Yeah. Because. Yeah. Yeah. I went to state school and you didn't even have to go to college. You, you went to school. Really? <laughs> Come across. <laughs> well, you spend 10 minutes watching anything I've ever done and you go, this guy is a fucking moron that failed his way to the top. Totally okay with that. Jokes on who? Guys who went to Ivy League schools paid four hundred grand. I paid sixty grand over four years. Can you get that back? Because I think yeah, it's an. I think if you showed them what happened, the podcast, the special. Yeah. I think if you showed them, I think they would say, "Look, we're going to refund the money." <laughs> I don't think you got anything out of this experience. We can't, in good conscience, keep your money. Well, they've learned nothing. Nothing. <laughs> nothing. Did you go to college? Yeah, of course. Or university, as it were? Yes, I'm, I'm bizarrely okay. well-educated. Okay, okay. Where did you go, fancy boy? I went to Cambridge. Yuck. Yeah. That's the one. Terrible. Yeah. It is. Do you ever feel guilty for your privilege? Not really, no. I'm, I'm like, um, it's a weird thing. I'm a, I presume you are too. Yeah. Irish heritage. So Irish parents came over, um, so immigrants to England in the 1970s. It's not the same as, you know, because we can pass very easily within half a generation you know, you've got the accent and you're at school and people think you're just one of the local kids. Mm-hmm. I was always very aware of being Irish because in that stage, late 70s, early 80s, the IRA was really, I mean, they were they were blowing shit up. Yeah. And my mother and father had Irish accents and it was like, it was a bit, you weren't as welcome as, you know, there were signs in windows, no blacks, no dogs, no Irish. I know, isn't that fine? Irish need not apply, that's what he used to say. Irish yeah. need not apply was a common phrase in Britain. Um I would imagine they would, I mean, if you'd walked in even with you an know, American accent, they would have gone, but something doesn't fit here. Right. And also, uh, yeah, that's a double no for them, a redhead and an American. They'd be like, kill him, kill him right where he stands. They would, they would see an Irishman and never mind the accent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so drinking whiskey in the afternoon, a couple of Irish guys. Well, this is cheers. Well, an absolute pleasure. Yeah. This is, but see, this, this is, this is a great half idea for a show. Isn't it though? <laughs> <laughs> How is this your job? This is my, because, um, uh, I wanted it so. I said, "How can I, how can I have fun?" Like I don't believe in like drink with friends and talk. Yeah, I don't believe in cosmic ordering, but this is this is as close as anyone's got to going. Why if I just no, but really good whiskey, yeah, <laughs> and that is a remarkable. It's very good. We're not paid by these people, but no. But if they want to send us a case, Jesus, please. a couple of them would be nice. Yeah. No. What? what uh, how do you feel being in? Australia about their reception of you because not to get into the history, but we will. Uh, do you feel like certain people here still are uh, about Brits? Uh, yeah, I think most people would know that I was Irish. So I think there would be. But you uh, don't sound like them. More sinned against than sinned. Right. Uh, you know, you can always play that card. Uh, I, I don't know. I think. Um, I, don't, I think there's like, there's, we're rewriting the world now. Like, it's yeah. all, we're, we're trying to make sense of our history for the first time in history. We're kind of going, well, should we have done that? Should that have happened? Yeah. And we're talking about it. And it seems that there's, I'm a big Stephen Pinker fan. 
I'm a big fan of that. You know, the guy that did uh, Better Angels of Our Nature mm-hmm. and uh, Enlightenment Now. These books about how by any metric you you can measure the world by, the world is a better place now than it was 20 years ago. Of course, so there's yeah. less violence in the world. There's less violence against women. There's less racism. It's still awful. You always have to make the point. It's still awful out there. Terrible things are happening. But it's better than it was. We're making some progress. Yeah. That's how I feel about whenever we get critical. I do think we're very critical of American culture and all of our shit. And I always go, we are some, I would say a lot of us are trying for for what it's worth. Yeah. A lot of people are trying to be like, well, let's change a little bit. Okay, well, I'll start up the time machine. Where you want to go back to? Yeah. Where do you want to go back to? Because honestly, I wrote a joke about the new Doctor Who is, uh, is a black guy. Right. And it's great. Yeah. But I mean, that TARDIS better be set for the future. Because <laughs> anywhere you go in the past, race is shit show. Right. I mean, it's so bad. So recently. Will they say that about us now in 50 years? Well, of course, there'll be more progress and it'll be something we don't even see now. That's what I'm saying. It is We're interesting. Even... They'll, they'll, they'll go 2023, racist shit show. Yeah. You know what I mean? They will, whether we know it or not. It will just be become... whatever, whatever the thing. Whatever the thing is. I don't mean race. Yeah. Whatever the thing is. Yeah. But that's. You're right, though. We are rewriting it. I think that's we're going to get cancelled in the future for this conversation. Sure. We don't even know what bit of it. I can kick. I can. I got a couple of guesses. Okay. <laughs> I've got two or three. You're waving us out. He wants to kick us out. Okay. Well, let me say this. It's been an absolute pleasure to be down under with you. Um, I wish we could talk for another four hours, but you have two shows to go to. I think if we'd done this, like, we should do this again late night. I know, I would love to. I mean, this is a phenomenal company, phenomenal whiskey. Thank we, you very We much. can do it again and again in the future, down the road. Great, thank you. Cheers to you. Cheers. Thank you. Uh, please, everyone at home, go see uh, Jimmy. He's on tour for the rest of his life. He's not allowed to get off tour. JimmyCar.com. This is uh, America. I'm coming in. Uh, the JimmyCar.com. Yeah. When you come to the, when you, are you coming to LA? Yeah. When are you going to be there? I don't know. Someone else is making that decision, but yeah. God bless. When you do, come say hi. I want to... Yeah. I got a little thing for you. Um, JimmyCar.com, is, I imagine, is what yeah, it is. It. Yeah. If it's not, it doesn't matter. You'll find it on the internet. Go see him live now. We end the show the same way, uh, with one word or one phrase. It used to be a word, and people got overwhelmed by one word. They were like, I don't want to end on one word. So if you have a phrase, a, word of, a, a phrase of wisdom or something like that, into your single, into your camera, give us one word or one phrase to end the episode. This will be in the Smithsonian one day, so do be conscious of that. When you're ready, go ahead. Oh, it's a big. Mm. Oh. Um. And I can talk for another second to give you some space about what, what Jimmy Carr thinks about when he's going to finish a show. But one word or one phrase to cap us out to take us home, you beautiful Irish prince. Fuck the garages. <laughs> In here, we pour whiskey, 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 whiskey. Creature in the ginger beard. Sturdy and ginger. Like vampires, the ginger gene is a curse. Gingers are beautiful. You owe me five dollars for the whiskey and seventy-five dollars for the horse. Gingers are oh, hell no. This whiskey is excellent. Ginger. I like gingers.